This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. And we're going to talk about the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. Uh, 1838 novel, I think. Yep. And the only novel by uh, Edgar Allan Poe that was completed anyways. Um, and it was the first time I read it, but you said you had read it back in your Poe years. I, in, 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 in my Poe years, I know I was serious, serious and got, got, I got deep, I got deep into, you know, I, I discovered the telltale heart and decided mm. to, start reading anything I could by Poe because I was in a kind of macabre sort of phase and I like his more supernatural sort of stuff. And so I found this and read it and it was utterly confused at the time. And when, yeah. I, when I listened to this again, I'd forgotten big chunks of this book. Mm-hmm. Other parts, especially the, the latter parts, came back through Chris Clay like, oh yeah, that's what. It's it's got a. I was in, it's interesting because we did a show, uh, you and I, uh, Deus Irae. Yep. Right, one of those novels that uh, Dick couldn't finish, so he gave it to Roger Zelazny, and um, and I actually think there's a a strong thematic connection between these two, in the sense that uh, that novel is actually just a bunch of short stories by Dick sort of strung together. Um, in a very bad fix up, not fixed up well at all. I mean, it still works as a novel and it's very fun and interesting, but it also, I, I got that sense in this. I mean, it's got, look, look at all the things it's got in it. It's got the premature burial, right? It's got, um, a manuscript found in a bottle, right? Where there's a, a sh- shipwreck. It's got, um, the, uh, there's another, sh- Poe story that's got a uh, uh, a ship in it, and it's called uh, the Oblong Box. Um, there's a guy in a box yeah. in this story. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't. It's not like the text was lifted out of those stories and put in here. Not at all. But like it virtually was in the Philip K. Dick one, but. The same themes that are in those are also in this. And there's even uh, uh, other ones, like the gold bug. I don't know if you know that story. It's, oh. it's relatively rare. Yeah, yeah that, that's the one with the secret code. And right. And it, this, yes. has got, this has got that too, right? Um, it's got uh, – it, that's also one of the other very few other stories uh, by Poe that has a black person in it, um, which, you know – is very interesting, and I think it's one of the reasons Poe is generally uh, loved in the states, um, in in high schools and stuff, is because even though it's old in public domain, it doesn't have a ton of racism in it. Mostly because he just doesn't talk about uh, the you know the big elephant in the room, which is during his time slavery was like still going, right? So uh, in general, they they don't talk about you know that or this novel uh in schools um it's sort of an it's a it's an easy friendly uh racism free generally yeah generally i mean there's there's some talk about the cook and you're talking about the 
The, now, there is in this, and that's what yeah. I'm saying is, you know, this is not one of the ones they teach in high school, and neither is the gold bug, generally. It's sort of left out. Um, they tend to do the telltale heart, and they tend to do one of the ones that I'm not a big fan of. Uh, uh, it's the Castle. one where the guy's being tortured to death, and then he's... Oh, the pit and the pendulum? The pit and the pendulum, right. Um, it's all mood, right? There's no... The guy doesn't do anything, really. He just sort of survives... And then is saved by, you know, from the Spanish Inquisition by, I don't know, the forces of French goodness or something like that. Um, But even that is in this, in the sense that all of the themes, the only thing that's really missing from this, which is really the theme that would make us think it's Poe, is the death of a beautiful woman. There's no beautiful women in this. There's no women at Oh, there are there are some native uh, black women, uh, and they're not uncomely. He says, right. but they're not dying in the sense that you know he's married to them and he's got to write epic poems about how beautiful they were. Yeah, and that is that is really the one missing thing. That I mean, it makes makes it almost feel like it. It's not even Poe that wrote this because that's so pervasive in everything else. Other than the ones mentioned, right? And there's, and there's that interesting. This and this jumps into the whole meta commentary. They talk about at the beginning how you'll be able to tell when Poe stops writing this and I start telling my tale. Yeah, it's a yeah. very and, and as I found I, I didn't remember that from my original reading. Like like he, he's doing meta commentary on his own novel, and this is mm-hmm. I mean it's very almost um, Tristram Shandy sort of way, sort of mm-hmm. like looking at your own text from inside your own text. I found that very very interesting that he he would he would perform that literary device, especially since in the age before um, deconstruction and uh, postmodernism, you don't find that that often. But here he is doing it right in the right in this novel. It's it, it's it's no wonder that uh, people are drawn to this novel, however strange and odd it is. And 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 I uh, just thought of another post story that this ties into the Casco Montelado because he is kind mm-hmm. of trapped inside that cabin Absolutely. for a good long length of time, starving and losing water and not sure if he's ever going to be able to get out in, in, the, in absolute darkness. He has his dog, which, it, which gives him some comfort. His, his dog is named Tiger, though. Tiger. <laughs> T- I think it's T-Y-G-E-R. I, if, I look at, if I look at the text, not Tiger as in... Tiger, as in Tiger, left. burning bright. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if it is an actual uh, reference to uh, to, I, I to Blake. I mean, it, it may be. Um, the 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 reason I wanted to do this book so much is because it is actually because it's so enigmatic, um, and because of the ending, so many authors have taken something from this and then just done their own thing with it. Um, so the most obvious one, I guess, is, uh, Jules Verne. He wrote a fan sequel to this, uh, called An Antarctic Mystery or The Riddle of the, uh, the Sphinx of the Snows or something like that. Um, which I have not read, but uh, if you're going to read that, you have to read this first. And, uh, there's another novel that I, I also want to read, um, called Manuscript Found in a Copper Cylinder, which is, the, apparently the very first Canadian science fiction novel is from the late 19th century. And it's in this, it, it could almost be this story from what I've read about it. 
Um, you know, there's a mysterious culture in this, in Antarctica and that's where they're going. Um, but I guess they don't come back. And that also goes back to the other story by Pope manuscript found in the copper cylinder, which again is if you, if you go to ISFDB and do a search for MS found in a, um, there's like 15 or so stories that take that title and just do their own thing with it. Um, this is not a manuscript found in a copper cylinder or anything like that because Pym apparently had come back to the United States and uh, was publishing this. Uh, but going back to what you were saying about it being meta, um, it is very meta in that sense, but uh, also part of the problem is it was begun to have been serialized in uh, the Southern Literary Messenger and it had it Poe's name on it. Right. So if he's going to uh, publish it as a genuine narrative without his name on it, which it is, if you look at the early books of it, it doesn't say Poe on it. It just says the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. Part of the reason it's like that is, um, and Poe was doing this a lot, right? He, he would write up fake stories and try and sell them as, you know, true stories. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and borrowing and borrowing from real events. I mean, and, and, and there's a lot of that in the text where you have digressions. He talks about he talks about uh, the cook, for example, Captain Cook and his adventures. There's a the mm-hmm. little digression in the middle of this about Captain Cook's Antarctic expeditions, which are which is important to understand that they're drifting into Antarctic waters. But it's, it's like this, the novel's full of these little bits of digressions, oh, yeah. and yeah, they're not that little. I mean, there's the one. The one you, I think you tweeted me about, uh, I, I misunderstood which one you were talking about. Um, when he's trapped in, in, in the underhold or whatever it is, um, you said, what was it, a labyrinth of lumber? La- labyrinth of lumber. I like that phrase. Now, is that from the book? That's, yeah, yeah. He talks about, he, he oh, talks, I, I missed it. He was I trapped it. in a labyrinth of, 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 he was trapped in a labyrinth of lumber. I just, I thought that was you being poetical, but it's actually from the book. Interesting. Um, but he, he does spend, it seems like almost a whole chapter explaining how to properly, uh, load a ship. <laughs> right? There's a whole chapter almost about how to, you know, you have to pack it right and you have to put the wood here and you have to, if it's cotton, it has to be packed in a certain way on the, on the dock before it's loaded. And if you don't do that right, uh, your ship will flip over, which eventually this ship does. Or well, one of the chips does, anyways. I wonder if uh, I, I was getting echoes go, flashing forward to Moby Dick, so I wonder if Melville read this. Oh, totally. Oh, he did. He did read it. Um, Be- because I mean, I mean, when, when I think he, I think he might even have dedicated it to. No, was it? No, he dedicated it to Washington Irving. That's right, Moby Dick. Um, and in fact, uh, that's another reason I wanted to read this book is because it was influential on, uh, Poe, uh, sorry, Poe's uh, narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket was influential on Moby Dick. And even though it seems like it's got limited connection to SFF, uh, Moby Dick is such a big book and such an American book. And really science fiction is generally American. Um, it, it is connected and there are some fantastic elements in there, at least in the way that Ahab talks. Yeah. Um, it, it almost feels like that Melville read, read, uh, 
Arthur going Pym. So I was like, okay, I'll make oh, it. I'm pretty sure he did. I think there's some notes to that effect. Somewhere. I want to do a whaling book, but I'll make it slightly less fantastic because I didn't like the fantastic elements so yeah. much. And it's like how the fantastic elements sort of slowly creep in this novel as they as it goes along. I mean, it starts off very, 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 very standard, I guess you'd call it historical fiction with I had not remembered they had the boat and that got wrecked, and then they go on the ship. I had just, mm-hmm. I just thought they went straight to, uh, straight out to sea. I forgot that tiny little four piece. And then as, as things start, as things get worse and worse, then the fantastic and creepy elements slowly worm their way in. Mm-hmm. So uh, adding more and more until you finally get to the, uh, the latter piece where they finally decide to go into, uh, full blown, uh, surrealism, for lack of a better word. Well, what's interesting is is there's a lot of uh, drinking in this book. Um, uh, the whole first chapter adventure happens because everybody's drunk, right? Um, and then those things that happen later on in the book are echoed from that first chapter, or when we're getting, you know, when we're on the Grampus uh, and um, Pim dresses up like a ghost. Um, and they, everybody in the, on the ship, except for, I guess, Augustus, uh, doesn't know that, that there's this extra person on board. That makes a, uh, an echo at the end of the book because there's another phantom in white, right? Right. The, yeah, the mysterious figure that ends the book. Right. And, well, for the first time that, that happens, it's a fake ghost, right? Um, but it uh, manages to scare everybody enough so that they, they freak out and surrender, I guess, or get killed in the, uh, the retaking of the ship. Um, what will, what will happen next at the end of the story? Well, it's just cut off and then the editor comes in and says, uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to have the rest of the chapters forthcoming, but Mr. Pym is not available. Yeah, it goes the whole meta thing again. Like, okay, we we know he survived because he came back to publish this thing. That's right. Because because he he himself is a narrator. But we we're not going to tell you what happens after he gets that book because we don't have it. I just thought it's like really that's. I mean, Poe is Poe is obviously having. I I I'd hate to think that he ran out of ideas. I think he was just having fun with. At this point, it's like okay, I'll just I'll just really make the make the readers. Trying to imagine what had happened next and how the heck they get back from from that strange area. Um, I well, it also it, that that also lends credibility to it being a true narrative in the sense that um, it starts off with the guy saying Pim Pim saying, "Well, uh, friends of mine have been saying, I, and especially Mister Poe, have been saying, I really got to get the narrative of this out because it's so interesting whenever they." hear my me tell the story they really want to have it out in the world and have people reading it because it's interesting uh, for the upcoming american expedition will they find the same thing that we did like there there is that element where they go down there looking for islands right and then he recounts how other people have gone down looking there for specific islands that some people claim that we're there and then they're not there um there's a i mean he's doing a it, it is a meta thing but it's also um I think the if you look at it as a metaphor for alcoholism and drinking like a lot, it it makes a lot more sense than if you just try and understand it as a straightforward novel of you know uh, 
just the just the true guys stories because it starts off with two guys who are excessively drunk. They're so drunk that they get up in the middle of the night and say, "Hey, let's go boating." <laughs> and the one guy says, "I knew we were drunk. We were lit up, but um, I didn't know how drunk." So they go out and they and then they they're going out in a storm in the middle of the night on on a very small boat, which, by the way, at the very beginning of the story, it says was half full of water. They had to bail it out before they went out, right? So it's ha- it's already half uh, sunk, drunk. Yeah. Um, and uh, then they go, they lose their mast. Another ship's captain runs them over with their ship, right? Which almost happens again later in the book when that uh, ghost ship comes, right? The disease ship, yeah. The the plague ship, right? Yeah. Um, that almost happens again. Um. And in the same way, the captain of the, uh, of the, uh, I can't remember the name of the first ship that runs them over. Um, that was the, the captain of that ship is like, Hey, I, I don't care. It's their problem for being out in a storm or whatever. The penguin. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, that, uh, the other one, they, they're thinking, Oh, they're coming to save us. They're coming to save us. And then they keep going, right? And they say, Oh, they're dead people. Um, so the the echoes of that, uh, you know, I'm telling the same story over and over again, or I'm echoing things later on. It's kind of like a drunkard telling you the same story. But then there's also all these lies that are kind of obviously lies. And one of them that somebody points out, and I'm not sure it is as bad as they point out, but on the Wikipedia entry, um, there's somebody points out that... Uh, he wouldn't find out until much later uh, what Augustus Augustus had done years later. Um, And then uh, I guess just eight pages later, uh, Augustus is dead. So how could he have found out eight years later if Augustus was dead eight pages later? Oh, wait, yeah, that's right. Because, because Augustus, because, we 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 get that point of view from Augustus relating relating because he says that Augustus related the the basic details and then later years later related he got more of the details. He got more than he said. Who but, is available to do that? Augustus, yeah, because Augustus dies. Like how how did he get the remaining details? Um, crap. And if you know if you're like a very uh, attentive reader, you would be like, wait a second. Um, and if you're not an attentive reader, you're just going along with the story. But the fact that, you know, Mr. Pym and Mr. Poe don't seem to have a, a massive literary distinction between the first two chapters and the subsequent chapters. Um, it just gets more and more out, outlandish. Uh, and, you know, they, they do keep drinking, right? I mean, later on, uh, when he's diving under the, uh, to get some food, his companions have drunk themselves into a stupor. And he gets pissed off about that. But that's, yeah, because that's about their only potable water because they haven't had any rain. (laughs) Well, yeah, but... Potable water, quote unquote, yeah. Yeah, but they were saving it, right? But but because they're all alcoholics, they, they, they pretty much don't. They, they just drink and drink and drink. I mean, it's, it is like they're on an ocean of, uh, I, I mean, I was thinking if you look at it closely enough or from a, far enough distance perhaps it's almost like um a guy goes out drinking and this is his story about what happened and 
all of the things that happen are sort of um and and analogs for actual things that that did happen i don't it's it, it, you can't quite match it up i think perfectly because there's there's a lot of other things going on but um given how autobiographical the drinking is in pose you know with regard to pose life um it and even pose end right there's a there's a not uh, not a novel well we don't know if it was a novel or a short story or what there was a, a fragment called the lighthouse um that I think Robert Block later tried to complete mm-hmm. and it starts in the same way that this one does. It's got a, a journal and the guy's keeping a journal. He's going to relate the events of uh, what's happening at this lighthouse and it just finishes Un, you know, it's unfinished because Poe's dead. Right. So there is a lot of meta t- meta stuff going on and that's probably because it is so autobiographical. It, even right at the very beginning, um, the, the character says, you know, I, I expected to inherit some money, right? I was sent off to an academy. I drank a lot, right? We had a terrible adventure and I got into a lot of trouble. Um, but nobody knew it was me, right? That's all Poe. That's from his own life. Yeah. 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 He, he had, he had his own money problems and trying to, uh, escape some, some of the entangles of his family and his, uh, foster father yeah i've heard about that so it's almost like yeah he's pouring himself into this manuscript his his troubles with alcohol troubles with other things and it's kind of like it's kind of like the ultimate alcoholic bender and trying to remember um oh oh god i just just, oh what what the heck is the name of that movie you know what this uh, now i'm I'm going to drive away all your listeners with this comparison The, the 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 narrative Arthur Gordon Pym is Poe's version of Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> yeah, it's a shaggy dog story. Right? It's, a, it's a shaggy dog story about events that may or may not really have happened the way they happened because you're seeing it through a alcoholic-fueled lens. And mm-hmm. you, you can't trust the narrator. And we, we just discussed that. I mean, he didn't have that conversation with Augustus. So either he's lying or he invented the details or... None of it all really happened. Yeah, and and whether that matters or not doesn't is is unclear because some people are saying that uh, you know it's because Poe is such a drunk that he he forgot that he'd killed off this character uh, later in the novel that he, he didn't go back and revise that. But uh, it's very carefully plotted in other senses. I mean, you know, the fact that he's well. I don't know if it's carefully plotted. It's just skillfully done. I think, I, I think overall it's an excellent, excellent story. Um, but it's got a lot of these elements that make, make you question a lot of things. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to tell you is, uh, one of the reasons we wanted to do this is because, um, we did, uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge's, uh, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yeah. And that is, I think, as close to an inspiration for this book, other than, you know, his own life, uh, as there is. Because that also is about an Antarctic expedition that goes horribly wrong. Uh, well, it, we don't even know if they were on an expedition, but there is a guy who is probably in the Antarctic because they're going south and it gets cold. Um, and they see all sorts of weird things. And then there's this element of the birds 
the albatross specifically. And there's tons of albatross in this. And it's not only uh, because, you know, they have albatrosses in the southern Pacific right. or southern Indian Oceans, but it's also because um, thematically uh, a lot of the things that happen in that poem happen in this. Yep. You're right because when when I saw when I saw albatross bears, I'm thinking, "Don't kill the albatross, you'll warn it." That's right. Uh, so I kind of, I guess, I just kind of ha- had Coleridge in the back of my brain mm-hmm. when listening to his albatross. Says, Don't eat an albatross; nothing will go to come of that. There's other things to eat. There's, luckily, he's mentioned plenty of other birds. They they eat a lot of birds in this, but they never touch an albatross, which is good because I. Pay my well, there's number. a line. There's a line in here that I really liked. Um, that it, when he says uh, one of the I don't I don't remember I think it was an albatross was eating one of the crew of the uh, the plague ship and it flew up uh, from that ship and brought some of the meat to his ship and it landed on the deck right and then he says something like uh, and I had an unmentionable thought. They're starving, right? <laughs> he had an unmentionable thought, and then he picked up the uh, flesh and threw it into the sea. Um, after that, but then subsequent to that, they eat people. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, they, 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 they wind up, yeah, they wind up resorting to cannibalism anyway. Yes, but on the other hand, they're not eating disease plague. Yeah, they're not eating meat, plague, so like plague meat. But that that uh, that ghost ship is possibly the same ghost ship as was in uh, the narrative, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, Rime of the Ancient Mariner, because everybody on that ship dies, probably from a plague, now it, now that I think about it, um, except for the main character, who is the Ancient Mariner. Um, he uh, is either incredibly sick and delusional, uh, or he's eating everybody on the ship. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's a there's a lot of weird things going on. But um, l- late in that in that poem, the ballad, uh, there's a, a couple spirits of the Antarctic uh, come alive and uh, start talking about what's going on. And guess what happens? They meet a ship. Right, the mariner meets a, a ghost ship, and so it's like it's all echoing around that every if you go south, you know you're gonna have these things and uh Lovecraft picks up on this uh and Jules Verne and I mean there's been other people who have written full full blown novel sequels as well but uh i I wanted to i I wrote up some notes that I wanted to mention first of all um. Have you seen the subtitle for the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket? I, I sent you the link here. Um, this is what they would do, I guess, because back in the day before paperbacks, they didn't have the back of the book to give you sort of a uh, a summary of what the book would be about. So they just have massive subtitles <laughs> so that you open up the book and say, what's this book? Oh, it's Arthur, uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. And then what is that? Who's Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket? So it says, here's the subtitle. Comprising the details of a mutiny and atrocious butchery on board the American brig Grampus on her way to the South Seas 
with an account of the recapture of the vessel by the survivors, their shipwreck and subsequent horrible sufferings from famine, their deliverance by means of a British schooner, Jane Guy, the brief cruise of this latter vessel in the Antarctic Ocean. It's actually not a brief cruise. It's quite a long cruise there. Her capture and the massacre of her crew among a group of islands in the 84th parallel of southern latitude, together with the incredible adventures and discoveries still further south to which that distressing calamity gave risk. They obviously weren't worried about spoilers. No, they didn't have that concept. But, uh, yeah. No, they, they was like, people will want to read. Like, I, I read to get to the part. In fact, where- this is a lie. This last part's a lie, right? Because it says, discovery still further south to which the distressing calamity gave rise. Um, that That is not in the book. Yeah, <laughs> that is, that's in the lost that chapter. That is the anticipation of what we think is going to be on the next page, and then, oh, the book's over. Dang. So the chapters are finished. I wonder who wrote that. That, uh, Poe. Poe probably wrote that. Yeah, right? see, that was the publisher, but yeah. No, but there's no, there's no, um, there's no attribution. This book is not by uh, Poe. It's by Pym, right? In right. the original publication. Right, but that that back piece was it written by the publisher? No, this is the frontispiece. Oh, the frontispiece. Yeah, this is the first page. Wow, that that, that it goes really mad. Referring to events that didn't actually make it into the final book. That's that, that's awesome. That is awesome. It's the opposite of a spoiler because what it says is this book contains things that you won't actually see. It's kind of like a movie trailer where yeah, totally. Where the scene actually doesn't wind up in the final movie. That's right. That's hilarious. Um, what, one of the other weird things that this novel reminded me of, especially when they get final part, is I don't know how much anime comics comics you read. Not, not any. Not any. Um, oh, uh, anime comics? No, I, no, as in, as in comics. Marvel comics. comics. Yeah, Marvel I do. Not not a lot. So you know what the Savage Lands are, right? Yes. So I, I was thinking of us heading further south and the water's getting warmer. Hmm? And I was thinking, oh, okay, this is where Marvel got the idea of a Savage Land. And a it warm, is indirectly, yes. Warm, warm, strange, most civilizations in Antarctica. Well, clear, clearly, so many Marvel had read this and thought... So the white figure is like, okay, there must there must be people in this. So we'll throw in dinosaurs and jungles too, just for the heck of it. Yeah, yeah, it's strange, strange volcanic land that keeps it not naturally warm. I mean, yeah, that's not directly how they got to it because um, probably the most closely connected one would be um, one by Edgar and uh, Ed, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, there's uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but we actually did it as a podcast. Um, there's a book by Edgar Rice Burroughs that is set in uh, a tropical land in Antarctica, right? That they get to via um, a river tunnel in their submarine. It's a World War One submarine, and they, 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 I don't know, they have a mutiny and they want to get some fresh water, so they go up this river that's in this island in the Antarctic waters, and they find a savage land. Um, where dinosaurs still rule the earth, you know? Um, so yeah, that's exactly where the Savage Land came from. But that came from this. And, um, if you dig a little deeper on the links inside that Wikipedia entry for narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, there is, uh, some talk about how Poe is subscribing to a then ex- existent theory about how the earth was open at the poles. Right, the Hollow Earth theory. Right, 
which uh, I guess kind of makes sense if you are looking for stuff. What's interesting, though, is I think that this is actually a science fiction book, which is kind of weird. But I think it's a science fiction book in a strange sense because um, some of the lines from from uh, the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner talk about the color of the sea as being, you know, all different colors. And do you remember that scene in this that's incredibly weird where they come up upon this land of uh, the native people down there and the water is a, is like got different layers and colors? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. It, it, it makes no sense, right? It, it, it's certainly not uh, anything that I'm I mean, familiar with. It, it, it tastes good. It's water, but it, it like you put your knife through it and the the water's disturbed, but you take your knife back out and it goes back to flowing in the same vein. It's like that is not normal. This is not <laughs> why why did he put this in? I think it is like uh, sort of him working out sort of a quasi scientific version of a couple of lines from the rhyme of the ancient mariner or something to that effect because there's no reason to have that in there other than it's just sort of an interesting fact, right? He, sort of a also, weird thing to happen. He also put, puts in the strange creatures that the natives are afraid of, and then they find a corpse of the same, same, and it's, it's not anything that I recognize as living or non-existent that they find that floating in the weird, the, cause the wars like turn like white towards the end. Mm-hmm. And they, then they find that body, that creature just floating along. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's like he's trying to like he's he's taking the rhyme of the nation mariner and trying to make it more trying to, trying to put a science science fiction basis on it rather than just a straight uh just straight imagery. It's just yeah, and and it it because he's got all those sort of lectures about uh you know how to pack a ship properly or you know these islands that seem to be on some charts and. You know, other expeditions have not been able to find them. You know, Cook, this, all the stuff about, you know, Cook's, Cook's, uh, adventures in trying to figure out if Australia was a place or, um, w- whether Antarctica was Australia, et cetera. All that, all that sort of scientific, uh, you know, voyaging things. This is, this is really the time period, you know, given in another 50 years, right? They can't say Antarctica has tropical stuff, right? Lovecraft, when he's writing the uh, at the Mountains of Madness, you know, he doesn't try and put any uh, uh, tropical things going on down there, right? No, yeah, yeah. By that, but by, by by that time, science had. I mean, Lovecraft clearly read and loved this, and I think I've seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think and he, he's, he's quoting from it, it too, he's right? Quoting from it, but I mean, even he's not crazy enough to actually put a tropical land there. I mean, it takes something like a comic book, as we said, to yeah, put a tropical. Yeah, or that or Rice Burroughs sort of, right. you know. But even then, that was, that was you know, in the in the 20s or 15s, I guess, uh, 1915 or something, like the teens anyways. And by that point, you know, we pretty much do have it all ma- mapped out. We, we've seen the North Pole. Uh, we've seen the South Pole. We know that the North Pole is water and the South Pole is, is on land. And so the next, this is why, you know, Poe is not in outer space generally, right? Because he still has a place. He can set these 
basically what are aliens. Those people are aliens. And the, and a lot of the things that are going on there are like what you would find. I mean, it feels a little bit like what you would see in uh, Stanley Weinbaum, you know? Oh, Martian Odyssey, yeah. Yeah, it's just a little, it's just not on Earth. It's on Mars, right? And so instead of having this long sea voyage, they have a space voyage. And then they have these weird adventures on a on an alien world in the same way that, you know, you used to be able to set those in caves, right? Or in the wildlands of 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 North America. Ooh, what could be out there, right? And then, yeah, no, okay, we got to put it in the pole because that's the only place that hasn't been thoroughly explored. Or like Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, he's got an inaccessible island that you can only get up into and we haven't flown an airplane over it, so that's why we don't know there's a savage land in there. Right? And now I'm thinking of Moorcock for a moment, whose 75th anniversary just a birthday just passed at, at the time of this recording, and his his seas of fate and how if you sail in the wrong places at the wrong times, you wind up in very strange and alternate worlds. Or um, James Eng does the same sort of thing with his, his fiction. If you you sail across the seas and you wind up in very strange lands which are on Earth, but they aren't at the same time, and mm-hmm. you find things which aren't quite human, and that's a sort of sense of yeah, because Poe po is early nineteenth century and the world hadn't been completely mapped. That sense of there's still unpoked corners of the Earth where you can set things, or think of um, um, Haggard, for example, and setting mm-hmm. stuff in the middle of Africa because well, we don't know what's there. there could, exactly, there could, there could be a city with a immortal mortal uh, woman ruling it with ancient right. Romans sitting there. Who knows? And in fact, um, subsequent uh, authors who've, who've taken the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket as the first book in a series, right? They will put there, there is one novel where they've got ancient Romans in that white land that they were heading to, right? They, there's the black land where they have these terrible experiences with the duplicitous uh, natives. Um, and then, you know, all the weird water and stuff like that. And then there's the white land that they're obviously headed to or the white area anywhere where there's this, this shrouded figure and the white birds that are surrounding it. And then uh, the white water and the, it's warm. It's hot water as well. Yeah. It's so weird. Right. Um, <laughs> so there's there is all this potential for more things. And people totally picked up on this. This book is actually really read like a lot of people read it between uh then and now but not so much i think in north america and and in england but in translation it's apparently huge um and i think that's really interesting the other thing i wanted to i always love reading what lovecraft has to say about a plot summary because he always interprets things slightly differently than you, you and i do you know um, and he, in Supernatural Horror and Literature, he describes the plot of the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. And it doesn't feel exactly like what happens. Um, and either he's not remembering it perfectly well, or uh, it's just the way he interprets things is like, hey, like, for example, when I read The uh, uh, the House of the Seven Gables, uh-huh. um, he makes it sound like it's a supernatural you know, story with, you know, lots of creepy stuff, you know, stuff going on. And there, I mean, if you look at it sort of squinting, it kind of is that, but it really isn't. It's just, it's just a fun, interesting book with 
a sort of a curse at the very beginning of the book that if it affects anything later on, it's just sort of like a fake haunting. Like the family feels haunted by the sin of having a, you know, a murderer in their family, Mm. something like that. So it's not really strong, but when Lovecraft described it, it was like, wow, that's not this book at all. (laughs) Unless you squint and you, you know, you're like Lovecraft haunted by the, architecture of homes you know <laughs> in any case here's here's the uh, lovecraft's description of the narrative of arthur gordon pym of nantucket he says in the narrative of a gordon pym the voyagers reach first a strange south polar land of murderous savages where nothing is white and where vast rocky ravines have have the form of titanic egyptian letters spelling terrible primal arcana of earth and there, thereafter are still more mysterious realm where everything is white and where shrouded giants and snowy plumed birds guard a cryptic cataract of mist, which empties from immeasurable celestial heights into a torrid milky sea. Wait, say, wait, wait a minute. That's this book? That's the and ending part of the book and some stuff exactly. he's thinking of, but I mean, he, he forgot the shipwrecks, the cannibalism, the, yeah, yeah. the mutiny, the, I mean, a long trip. Well, those are, there. but admittedly, those are the non supernatural parts, right? The, or seemingly non supernatural parts. Um, and this is, you know, just, that's his entire summary. But what I think is interesting is he, he's sort of crystallizing, uh, what is there, I think, pretty well. He says, shrouded giants. I think there's only one giant. Yeah, it's one figure. But he's assuming there's more. And snowy plumed birds guard a cryptic cataract of mist. And a cataract is waterfall, right? So um, it, that's the hole, I guess. Now, if they're going down that hole, right? They're going pouring into the earth from the sea. They're going uh, to the hollow earth. They're going to the Hollow Earth. How the hell did Pym get back up to no- America? How, how do you climb back up out of the cataract, right? Um, yeah, that, that, then that sort of ties into uh, to burn again with Journey to the Center totally. of the Earth. Um, totally. It, it, it ties into uh, a, whole, whole bunch, a whole bunch of weird things. It turns into Burroughs again because I know Burroughs did at the Earth's core. And I think it also ties back into... Uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, because it feels a little bit in this little part about uh, part of what's in the other famous poem by him, Kubla Khan. Remember, there's uh, plunging waters into a cavernous crystalline spheres, and there's all, all it's like um, measureless to man. It's, it's like it's a dream poem that's unfinished, right? Right, because he gets he gets he gets interrupted by the guy from Porlock, yeah. That's right. Um but it's I mean there's there's no real connection other than the imagery, but it seems like it's that powerful imagery that everybody, you know, agrees. Really powerful imagery. That's what how this ends in the same way that Kublai Khan ends, you know, it's just not finished, right? I I just found that uh it's it's really open. It leaves it open for the reader to, you know, think about what the hell's going to happen next. How are they going? How is he going to get back? Because he clearly must get back. And I think it's more powerful 
for that. I think if he had put totally. a, put a, put a, if he put a conventional ending on this, we wouldn't be talking about it as much as it was today no. because it's kind of left to the imagination, like especially imaginations like Lovecraft or like Burnish mm-hmm. or people who wrote sequels. Is okay. What happened when he got past that figure? What the heck did he find there? And how the heck? He's only got that tiny little boat. How in the world does he get back to Nantucket? How's it, how, and, how does he manage and that, it? That framing device of having, you know, Poe saying, uh, or Pim saying that, uh, oh, Poe, we only put his name on because we thought that would sell it better. Um, and then this book is by me, by Pim, right? But even the names, A. Gordon Pim, right? Is, it's not all that different from E.A. Poe. Yeah, it's got it's got the same sort of the three name cadence, yeah. Exactly, and and the three letter last name, etc. But um, the fact that this book is published without attribution, and then having that ending, and we think this is bullshit. <laughs> this is not a true story. But even so, if it doesn't have you know a fiction story by you know not not based on real adventures, but actually says no, this is a true story. Um, uh, and having that, you know, unfinished quality at the end, uh, well, you know, we're hoping to, you know, have a further volume later on, blah, 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 if we can get a hold of Mr. Peters, who now lives in Illinois or whatever. Yeah. Um, that uh, lends this credibility that I think you see in a lot of uh, framing devices like, uh, I want to say, Henry James. Yeah, Henry James's Turn of the Screw has that a framing device. Um, because even if we know it's fiction, if it's got that sort of here, it's a meta frame. But if it has any sort of frame, it sort of gives us an extra distance that we well, maybe it is true. And that totally helps, I think, helps helps a lot because it it starts off so realistically. Right. It's just a couple of drunk guys. Right. There's yeah. no. There's no, there's not, there's nothing supernatural happening at all. And then later on, we get, uh, a lot more to it. Um, and another point, I don't, I'm not, I have not read the story, but I'm familiar with, the, with it. Have you read, uh, The Secret Chair by Conrad? Conrad? A long, yeah. long time ago. Cause that has a bit of this in it too, or this has a bit of that in it. Um, because there's a guy hiding on the ship, right? Right. We have that in this as well. A guy who nobody else knows is on board. It's, yeah, but it says, see, it's it's a a river mostly. Uh, that's right. And then uh, I know Silverberg wrote another one called The Secret Chair. Right, which which is a which is a direct takeoff on uh, mm-hmm. takeoff of of of, of Conrad. Uh, Right, and right, and there's right the escapees, and I, I, I think he was, I think he was focusing more on the earlier stuff with the mutiny and mm-hmm. the dynamics aboard the ship, and Conrad didn't want to explore the more fantastical elements. No, no, no. Which, no. I mean, he does do that in another book, but I'd have, I'd have to check to really make sure, but I think if I think if I if I remember the plotting, we talked about the plotting of of. Egon Pym pretty well. I think the fantastical elements really only start to hit once we've crossed the equator and gone into yep. the southern hemisphere. Then we start seeing the really weird stuff start to. Really well, there's that. I think the first thing is the there's the polar bear that's not you know it's not a northern polar bear it's a southern polar bear, and so that's like the first 
instance of an animal that's not a real animal, right? Right. And then uh, one one of the things we have not talked about at all is uh, the Lee however you say. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure the What are they saying? What are they? They saying white is bad, right? To Kelly E. To Kelly E. Yeah. What, what what does it mean? Uh, I, There's no answer, right? Yeah, it's just nonsense. They go on they go on the ship, and they see like uh, the op- the face of an open book, and they're like, "Oh, Taliki Lee," or however you say it. And it's like, what, "Why are you so upset by an open book?" And then they see like a I don't know some downy feathers from a bed or something, and like, "Oh, Taliki Lee." Um. It, yeah, it, it, yeah. What does it mean? Um. Yeah, here we are. Um. Right, right. Toward, towards the end, is this like now? Now that now the 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 text I have kind of uh, puts white in uh, italics, and it's talking about chain of connection to complete. To kill E was the cry of the affrighted natives that saw discovering the carcass the white animal picked up at sea. It's also the shuddering excellence of Talalban discovering the carcass of the white materials in position of Mr. Pym. There's also the shriek of the swift flying white and gigantic birds which issued from the very white curtain of the south. Nothing white mm-hmm. was to be found at Talal and nothing otherwise in the subsequent voyage to the region behind. It is not possible at Talal the appellation of the island of the chasm may be found upon minute philological scrutiny to betray some alliance with the chasms themselves or some reference to the Ethiopian characters so mysteriously written in their windings. So, yes, yeah, so it seems to be like they're white-phobic for some other, for some reason or another. Now, you had sent me the PDF of this, mm-hmm. which, which, which I'm glad, because listening to this uh, the narration, and, there, and we haven't even talked about the narration, the narration was mostly good, although... Yeah. although it's got some flaws in it. it but it's, got, it's got some flaws, especially when he, talk, when he has some of the intertextual stuff he talks about, there was no figure, mm-hmm. and and the Kuten, the Patton Gutenberg version that I read didn't have any figures. But the version that you sent me, I could see some of the figures that they draw. So I had to restore all those images too. Uh, some people they they just so uh, they just waste they scan up a beautiful book and then take out all the pictures because they think it's a you know it's going to be in copyright or something. It's uh, books like from a hundred years ago. It's not. In copyright. Yeah, it's not in copyright. So now that I can actually see the figures they're talking about, it's like okay. So yeah, they do look. Yeah, I mean, and that's a that's a total Poe thing to do, right? He loved. So, I mean, if if he was around today, he'd be like a programmer or something, right? Because he loves or a cryptographer or something like that. Because oh, he oh, loves cl- that stuff. Oh, clearly, yeah. The gold gold bug again. I mean, he he'd be the kind of person who'd be writing stuff in uh in Tolkien's uh. In the um, Tenguar language, and just and just hitting, hiding that in the stuff, and seeing if people could figure out what mm-hmm. he's actually writing. Yeah, he'd be totally into that. I, totally. I he he'd be he'd be he'd be a programmer, photographer, and font nerd if he was. All he'd, he'd be like hanging out with Charlie Strauss and oh god, yes, and Alan Moore. <laughs> I could see him, them totally hanging out together and, and, talking, and talking up stuff. and 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 making enemies everywhere because he's always getting drunk and. <laughs> <laughs> well, and borrowing you, money. Can you imagine him at a world con though? I, I I have a feeling. I have a feeling that he was fired from the Southern Literary Messenger, and that <laughs> that um that's part of the reason 
you know, it wasn't further serialized because the magazine kept going after him, right? Um, and it was a great job. I think he's just like, you know, fucked up so, so much. And th- this book is like, yep, I'm a drunk. Here, I'm going to tell a drunkard story. Um, I, I also wanted to read the poem I sent you. Uh, this is from Fungi from Yagath, which is, uh, 36 sonnets by Lovecraft, uh, that have been strung together. Um, and it actually starts off as a story. There's a guy who's, uh, this is number 15, but it starts off with a guy stealing a book from a bookshop, probably in Innsmouth. Uh, and, uh, and then in the first two, it's like really clear that there's a story that's continuing. And then the third one, it starts to get weird <laughs> because the guy's no longer, he's no longer just, you know, stolen the book and running home with it. He is opening up the worlds that are possible within the book. Um, and that's what all the subsequent poems are sort of about. There is a couple of callbacks to, um, to Innsmouth. Uh, but it's like if you go to the Innsmouth bookshop and they won't sell you one book, you have to steal it. And that's what this comes to. But this one I think is, uh, number 15 is called Antarctos. And it, I think is inspired by Arthur Gordon Pym. I'm going to read it here. Says, Deep in my dream, the great bird whispered queerly of the black cone amid the polar waste, pushing above the ice sheet lone and drearily by storm-crazed eons battered and defaced. Hither no living earth shapes take their courses, and only pale auroras and faint suns glow on that pitted rock, whose primal sources are guessed at dimly by the Elder Ones and Elder Ones is capitalized. If men should glimpse it, they would merely wonder what tricky mound of nature's build they spied. But the bird told of vaster parts that under the mile-deep ice shroud crouch and brood and bide. God help the dreamer whose mad visions show those dead eyes set in crystal gulfs below. It's almost like that... uh that black cone is from the black lands there. Yeah. And I mean, he, he's notice he says the primal sources, that's him quoting himself describing the plot of, uh, Arthur Gordon Pym. Right. So he, he, he clearly had an influence on his psyche. I can see out echo, totally. elements of chambers there, but clearly he's drawing all the way back to Poe for his Antarctic, uh, yeah, with Dark the birds. Missions. Yeah, the birds. The birds go with that shrouded white figure, right? Right. Because they're, um, because they're white. And it it also you know it also goes back to that uh, the white bird from the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yep. The uh, the albatross. Don't kill that bird. Talikili. Talikili. Don't kill the albatross. That's right. I I think this is one of those books. Like I think if I spent six months trying to decode what's going on in the end there, I would end up writing a sequel trying to explain uh, like Lovecraft and Vern and like two or three other people have done. Vern, Lovecraft, Burroughs, anybody who's done hollow earth or strange polar civilizations like going to Lemuria and Thule and 
Mew totally. and all sorts of weird places. They, you, it, 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 the, the novel's kind of like a journey that way. I mean, we talked about it being a, a drunken stupor, but you go mm-hmm. from the ordinary, ordinary pedantic of Nantucket and slowly and surely go into, uh, strange and, uh, strange and surreal. It's, mm-hmm. and, and I think, I think it works better that he didn't get, show how Pim got out of it because how do you return from the surreal? And that journey is less interesting if you're thinking of a Kimbellian Hills journey, then the journey get there, the journey there is more interesting the way back. The way back is usually faster and easier and usually glossed over. It's, it's the getting there that counts. It's the, totally the journey totally. more than the destination. And I, I, I got to ask you, what's what happened to Tiger? I think that's a good question. We, we he did, they ate him, right? They had they to, ate they had to have eaten the dog. Yeah, they ate the dog. And they had to him because it's it, he just disappears, right? <laughs> and then um in uh I was reading this, this plot summaries for later novels. Um you know, sometimes they have Peters still uh down there. Oh. By the way, his name is Dirk Peters, which is a pretty double penis name. <laughs> which is pretty funny. But uh, he's he's supposed to be a super strong guy, right? Um he's a manly man, he's got two penises. Dirk and Peters. In any case, um, uh, Peters is sometimes dead in some of the other sequels. Sometimes he's alive and still adventuring with Pim. But in one of the stories, uh, they find Tiger's collar. That's all they find. It's like, doesn't say, you know, we ate him. But I think they ate him. The last time we met, now I'm looking at the text. I mean, they, they, he, he helps him with the, uh, the escape, and then he's a smart dog. He knows how to find paper and matches. Right, and and then he's and then we don't see him. We don't see him again. Nope. And he's just kind of he, he does kind of drop out of the narrative. What the? So, what is up with that? They ran out of food. And they and yeah and 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 he he met, he mentions that he didn't want to. I mean, some of the things he came back to later. So, I mean, he, it was clear that he loved the dog. and Oh, yeah. And the dog saved his life. The dog right? saved his life. So. Twice. Twice, in fact. Because he first he saved the dog's life. That's how he met the dog. Some guy was going to drown the dog, right? And then uh, the dog saved his life from some mugger on the street. And then the dog saving him uh, on the ship. And he seemed, like, surprised that the sh- the dog was on the ship with him. Like that sounds like a drunkard's thing to do. Oh yeah, I forgot my dog, and also he 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 forgot where he put his matches. Like yeah, the most and, and, thing. and the dog finds the matches. Yeah, here's the here's the last line that mentions Tiger, he, and he's not feeling well at this point. When I recovered from this state, the sun was as near as I could guess an hour high. I had the greatest difficulty in bringing to recollection the very circumstances connected with my situation, and for some time remained firmly convinced that I was still in the hole of the brig near the box, and that the body of Parker was that of Tiger. See, so he's you, eating everybody. Yeah, I, I, I think I think poor Tiger wound up being food. Yeah, it's it, it's. I mean, I mean, maybe he got lost in the storm because I mean, once the once the uh, ship becomes a, a husk. And people get knocked overboard. It's not. Mm. It's not a great place. And no, 
but in fact that that that's one of the things that um he he brushes over very lightly is that you know he, they have basically a horrendously awful horrifying experience i i i think um the wikipedia entry it says that paul thoreau who's a travel writer i really like to read his books um when he visited um uh uh who's the argent uh, borges borges uh when he visited Borges, he was reading him um, because Borges was blind, I guess, at that point. He was reading him uh, parts of the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. And he said that it was the most horrifying book he'd ever read. And it is, I mean, there's some really gruesome stuff going on, right, with the way that they, they draw lots. I mean, that's really, that, that's one of those scenes that it feels like it's, it's the pit and the pendulum, right, except with a point that it's a part of our larger narrative. Um, it, it's just like horrifying. Like he's, he's scrutinizing those straws, hoping to try and find a way to make somebody else take the short straw. Yeah. It, it is such a Borges like this book too. I mean, I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry. He said he praised mm-hmm. the Pope novels, Poe's greatest work. And I'm trying, I, I don't think of many Borges books. Interesting. That, yeah. That, that they have directly have a, uh, sea voyages i mean he's got some he's got weird countries and other strange customs but i don't think i can't think of many sea voyages in this book well he has what he does have though is is that interest in the the meta he also has he also has an interest in the crypto crypto sort of coded coded messages sort of thing the hieroglyphics the strange the strange runes Mm -hmm. and and stuff yes that's true that's so yeah he clearly took that love from the book. I don't think he was a heavy drinker like like Poe, you know. And I don't like. I think Lovecraft was a teetotaler. So you know, not not everybody comes at it the same way. Uh, Vern, I don't think was a super heavy drinker either. That would explain why Lovecraft is taking it as face value. He would he, never think of it as being a drunken bender because that's just <laughs> it wasn't ever his thing. He's like, of course this well, must no, have happened. He, he was he was deep into madness though, right? So yeah, but not uh, the, not, not drunken madness. It's a different. Yes. No, not drunken madness. No, it was just genuine madness of either uh, genetic uh, or disease or the third and preferred version is uh, confronting reality drives you mad, right? I've been reading uh, uh, The Call of Cthulhu, and that has a bit of this in that. One of the things that's relatively absent in this book that uh, Lovecraft was obsessed with was dreams. Um, there are dreams in this book, but they're not as prominent as uh, as the rest of the material. Yeah, yeah this is, it's not a, there's no real dreamscapes. I mean, he talks about imagining things here and there. Yeah, and nothing really. It's sort of waking dreams rather than yeah. Yeah, then yeah, there's there's no Kadath in this book. No, no. It, it, well, unless the whole thing is that, right? Well, well we discussed that already. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. is he imagining this entire a thing? Dream of a dying man on a on a ship um uh, yeah it's it, but it, there is a lot of gruesome stuff you know sort of about two-thirds of the way through and then they get rescued and they get better almost immediately right? <laughs> and then they're often adventuring on a new adventure but yeah but the, the, but he even mentions that i can't remember half the stuff that happened on the ship Yep. And, and 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 going from lampshades, totally lampshades. Yeah, he's totally lampshades, and that that could also help explain 
the lost tiger. He clearly does not want to remember he ate tiger. That's right. So he just dropped out of the event. And that, I I mean, I always, I I thought that, um, and I think it is actually right near the end, it says, and now we are doing this, something like that. Um, It changes tenses from, instead of being all past, 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 it changes to at the present sort of thing. And of course that doesn't fit with the, <laughs> the idea that this is a all past tense story. Um, it fits with more like the fact that the author's sort of wrapping things up and he says, yep. And sort of this is the end of the adventure. Oh, except there's two more chapters that are not forthcoming. Well, I, I assume it's two. Did they see two or three more, uh, more chapters? I believe he says, yeah, let's see what he says. Might've been just two more chapters, but the loss of two or three final chapters for there were but two or three is the more deeply to be regretted, as it cannot be doubted they contain matter relative to the pole itself, or at least yeah. to regions in its very near proximity. So yeah, so he was a cocoa about done, but he kind of like kind of like Zeno's paradox, we never quite get there. We get close to the the pole, but it's it's kind of like a Mercator map. Mm. You know how mm. you know how a Mercator map the poles are. Theoretically, an infinite distance right. away. You never, you actually don't yeah, see the poles. You, you can walk map. along the, you can walk along the equator for in the entire, entirety of the bottom of the map. Yeah, and you can never, you can never quite reach the pole if you walk along a Mercator projection because they're infinite distance away from, right. from the equator. Because that's why Greenland looks so big on a Mercator map, because right. because it's being stretched into infinity. The the part of North America everybody forgets. I haven't forgotten. I would. I would say not. I mean, no. But they say you know it's Canada, the United States, Mexico. Oh yeah. Did well, you, there's a few other islands, but they never say and Greenland, right? which is owned by Denmark. And Denmark's not saying they own the North Pole because they own Greenland, and Greenland's connected right. to it underneath water. They just filed a claim recently That's about right. that. They did. So, but uh, I, nobody's filing the claims for. Uh, these uh, black islands. Uh, what do you think? Is is that all racism? Because it didn't seem like racism to me. Uh, I mean, the, the guys have black gums. It's it, it. It. I mean, there is a there is a mean black, uh, or as Lovecraft would call them, a nautical negro. <laughs> From the Call of Cthulhu, there's the two two people are murdered by nautical negroes. Um, but the uh, I, it doesn't seem like it's it's particularly directed against black people at all. It just seems that that's the color of this particular native peoples who there are black natives down in the South Pacific. Right. So what's, what, what do you think? Is that, is there a racism going on there? I know people have, have worked on that. Tony Morrison has criticized that basically saying black is evil, white is good. I, I think, yeah. I think that's a little well, too, that- that's you know that's not original to this though. No, it's not original to this, but and and I think it's just so such a small seasoning that I don't see it. It might be there, and I'm I'm not going to criticize people who see it that way. I didn't. I mean, I mean, I did kind of wince when when the black cook shows up and then disappears, but I didn't consider the the natives at the end to be racist. I, they were just uh, they were just evil and duplicitous, and you should never go into a in a tiny box cannon as they did, even oh. heavily armed. Uh, obviously, they didn't study their, uh, their geography very well. If you realize that was the perfect place for an ambush, no matter no. what color the natives 
or a... Well, he he says that after the fact, right? Yeah, it's like... But foolish mistake. Very foolish. But we, they were so, they were so uh, scrupulously honest up to that point. They had... They had uh, this plan, all, apparently, all together, you know, let's all get them in our clutches. It almost feels like there's been other Voyagers there prior that they've, you know, bushwhacked. Bushwhacked and, and get uh, nails yeah, and other materials that they can't yeah, get. because they had some other native ships, apparently. Yeah, they other had, native they, Yeah, they had the little, canal, the, the little uh, canoes and stuff, but they weren't able right. to to chase them but so yeah i don't see the racism in this in this book but other people have so i i don't know i, I, I was more I thinking about it like like you know you read some lovecraft and you say oh my god this is horrendous yeah it's kind of hard to read a lot of lovecraft and not see that and, and well, it's not in every every story but in this one i mean he's dealing with he does have a black character who's you know uh he's I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure, they says they were going to go pirate or something, right? They're going piratical. They weren't even sure. They were talking about piratical, they were talking about whaling. It's just like, yeah. they didn't even seem they really had a real good plan after no, just going over the great captain. Reason to, to, yeah, mutiny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just part of the narrative of, of these stories is, you know, I, I, that happens in Moby Dick as well. They, they almost go, uh, I, Mr. Starbuck, I guess. Mr. Starbuck goes, uh, uh, you know, Captain, this is not right. You're gonna have a mutiny on your hands, and he says, "Geez, you're, you know, you're right." Something like that. But at least they, at least they had reason to oppose Ahab. Here yeah, they, yeah. Here they, he was obsessed. Yeah, I think here they decided, oh, let's go overthrow the captain. And never have seen a reason at all. They just decided no. to do it. And and like, why is Pym? Why is he hiding on the ship in the first place? He's a stowaway. I mean, I, I know that, but why didn't he just like why why didn't he just sign up? Um, because he doesn't have any skills or anything that would allow him to uh, be a. I guess. I, I mean, I, I mean, guess, that, but but the problem with that is, I mean, he had his own ship. I know he did sink it. Um, but it seems like drinking and sailing go together, at least in this world, you know. That everybody remember the 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 ship captain who ran them down. He was drunk, I think. Um, and then the the um, the ghost or the plague ship. Uh, they thought that the captain of that ship was drunk, even though it turns out he was he was uh, dead. <laughs> um, it's like expecting drinking to go with with. Uh, sailing just goes together. It was expected. So, I mean, he did have skills. He he had owned a boat. He had uh, some sort of skills. It 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 just seems like it's just sort of the thing you do, right? You know, uh, treasure islands. You know, you got pirates. You got piracy. You got mutinies. You got all that sort of nautical stuff happening. But I think he because he he, he mentions he was afraid that he'd be just put back off on the island, so he had to wait. He wanted to wait till it was too late to to uh, yeah. turn back, so then he'd be part of the crew. At least that's what that's what he uh, arranged yeah. with his friends. Yeah, it just seems like sort of arbitrary that he didn't, because uh, his dad was uh, Augustus's dad was the captain, right? Right. So why didn't you know Augustus just say, "Hey, my friend wants to go with us"? I mean, wouldn't they want an extra hand? You think, especially one that. Was willing? Was, well, was willing, yeah. Usually they're pressing guys into service, right? This guy doesn't even want to get paid. He just, he just wants the adventure. 
Mm-hmm. And well, but but then he would have been killed with the mutineers. So and we and he would have met his met his dog underneath the hold. There's all sorts of you know in, inexplicable things. One of the things that happens there is that the the food is bad all, instantly, right? It's like full of weevils. Like after, like he says, it, it hasn't even been three days, right? Yeah, um, it's, it's suddenly spoiled, right? But. Uh, when Augustus explains it, he says, I came down and you were, uh, asleep, sleeping peacefully. But then he also says, uh, I have been taking liberally from the spirits. <laughs> there you go again. And, uh, I, like, I think he'd been in, like, a drunken stupor for weeks or something down there, right? It's like it's sitting in the dark. All he can do is drink. He's lost his matches. Doesn't know where he misplaced them. He doesn't even know that his dog's down there. Like, what the hell? This, this narrative is uh, full of holes. Oh, okay. Now, now I'm reading. I'm reading this. Now I see why he wanted to hide. He, because he didn't really want to work at the deck, and he just wanted to go on the ship. Because, because he said once he was, he'd be out of his. I should then he said be formally installed in all the comforts of the cavern. And as to his father, he would only laugh heartily at the joke. Vessels enough would be met with by which a lady might be sent home, explaining the adventures to my parents. So it's not like he actually wanted to work on the ship. He just wanted a sea voyage. And the best way to do it is to stow away, and then like, oh, oh, you you stowed on my ship. Now you can sit in this cabin all day. So it wasn't mm-hmm. look like he was working to work on the ship. He just wanted. Yeah, to be how, on the how ship. old do we figure he is here? He is. He feels like he's a teenager. It feels. It definitely feels like he's a teenager, even though he's drinking. He's he can't be. He can't be more than twenty. I would think. I figure he's like about fifteen or something. Because yeah, because it's like his father is a trader and sees stars. Grandfather isn't is a. Uh, is a tourney. And he had a he had his own boat, but it's not a huge, you know, vessel. But they're in Nantucket, so everybody's got a boat yeah, in Nantucket. That's right. It's like pretty much. So it's an island. So yeah, he's gotta be a teenager and he wanted a teenager's adventure, but he didn't want to work on a ship, which he could have clearly done if he wanted to yeah, if he probably would have been taken on. But he just wanted to have an adventure. I think that's what's and he got on. he got he got the adventure of a lifetime. Well, that's what he says, anyways. <laughs> Maybe the reason we don't have the last two chapters is because he he's passed out. He just drank himself under the table. He forgot the rest. I must have gotten oh, wow. that back somehow. Yeah, he wrote he wrote it down at the at the typewriter. I guess there's no typewriters, but yeah, you know, a little too early for typewriters. But it, it, it it's funny. It's, it's not like Pim's dead, right? It's just they're not available. Yeah, he's not, available, not and, available. Yeah, it's like what's what is that supposed to imply? Right? Not available. Um, did you uh, read the the, the huge Wikipedia entry? There's there's some stuff about how there's a. Uh, well, let me just read it here. It says, um, the story starts off as a fairly conventional adventure at sea, but becomes increasingly strange and hard to classify. Poe, who intended to present a realistic story, was inspired by a real-life account of sea voyages and drew heavily from Jeremiah N. Reynolds and frequently references the Hollow Earth theory. He also drew from his own experiences at sea. Analysis of the novel often focus on the potential autobiographical elements. Uh, now, um, when Poe died, uh, the his last word was Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's a strange. It indeed. 
And uh, let's see if I can find out why. Uh, it, let's see. Reynolds. Um, and apparently there was like uh, some subsequent uh, people who had similar horrific experience. Um, okay. Yeah. It says legend says that in his delirium, Paul called out the name of Reynolds, although this is possibly apocryphal. Um, Mocha Dick or the White Whale of the Pacific by Jeremiah and Reynolds. Holy crap. I had never heard of this guy. Yeah. So, so again, did, uh, someone who influenced both Poe and Melville. It's it's very interesting because we sort of see them all. You know, we take a book and we say that's a, a complete work of original. <laughs> you know, no, these guys read their own books, right? They they read other books, and those guys read other books, and those guys wrote other books. Just so, just like the um, the long conversation of science fiction, you have books which totally which go back to other books, which react to other books, and. Some of those books fall out of favor, so you're just left with gaps and pieces, and you don't realize that the book is a dialogue with books in the past. And exactly. The, 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 uh, Moby Dick is in dialogue with Gordon Pym and Mocha Dick, and Mocha Dick I'd never heard of until just ten seconds ago. I mean, so it's it's strange that the the the, the earlier pieces in the in this whole narrative conversation are lost, and we're just left with. The works that the skeleton of par, par, partial bones, the partial bones, it's, all that it, it, put it's, it back together. It's kind of like a um, bibliographic archaeology and finding the small pieces, mm-hmm. trying to establish a whole whole literary canon out of it, and stuff just gets lost forever. Um, one of the other books that I'm reminded of by this book um, is H.G. Uh, Wells has uh, a sea voyage book. Um, uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. And in the very beginning of that, there's sort of a very narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym-like explanation for how our hero, quote-unquote hero, got to be where he was. Um, He's on a ship, um, and in the middle of the night, that ship crashes into another ship in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay. Um. Then uh, he's in a dinghy with three other guys, or with two other guys, who are driven to by starvation to start considering um, uh, cannibalism. And then um, the narrator says uh, they they wanted to draw straws, um, and I was all against it, just like our hero in this story is all against it. Um, but then the explanation is, um, they fought over it. They fought over, you know, they, we drew straws. I was totally against it. We drew straws and one of the two guys, uh, was chosen and those two guys fought over it, even though I was completely out of it. And he says they went over the side in their struggles and dropped like stones. And that's the he just keeps drifting he says right you know and then uh he's picked up by another ship uh that you know takes him on board and that's the ship of Dr. Moreau but he didn't you know he's the one telling the story and they drop like stones doesn't seem to be like what actually happens when people fall out of a boat 
right? Yeah. I mean, they don't sink to the bottom, you know, instantly, right? Not, not unless they're they're low with lead weights or they don't know. Or or they've been eaten and thrown overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Our bones have been thrown overboard. So when you've got these unreliable narrators, um, which, uh, I mean, Pym doesn't present himself as an unreliable narrator in the sense that, you know, every chapter he's, he's, uh, saying stuff, but he gets more and more and more unreliable. And we know how unreliable he will be right from the very beginning because he's completely drunk. And doesn't know that his companion, who he's sleeping in the same bed with, is completely drunk, right? Uh, until halfway out in uh, on their voyage, they you know lose their mast. Then he says, "Oh my God, this guy's stone drunk." <laughs> so uh, these totally are in dialogue with everything else, and and that's why Starbuck, Mister Starbuck, is. Uh, a teetotaler, he only drinks coffee. Uh, well, if he, if he was afraid of adventures like in uh, the narrative of A. Gordon film, I can't say I blame him. <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.